Uh, it is great to be with you, great to be able to worship with you, and great to be able to share now from God's Word. If you are uh, a guest with us this morning, either uh, here on site or online, um, we believe that God speaks to us, and we believe that a big way that he does that, the main way that he does that, is to speak to us through his Word, through the Bible. We believe that it contains life and it contains truth. And that there are things that if we will allow God to speak to us through it, it can absolutely change everything. And last week, Stephen uh, uh, started a series uh, called Principled, Foundations for a Good Life. And he shared a couple, of, a couple of words from which we get this, 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 this word, this, this idea of principles. The first is principium, that means, that means source, this idea of um, we need to get our principles from somewhere. And the second is this idea of a foundation. Once we've got those principles, we need to build our life on them. And there's two verses in the Bible that kind of speak to these ideas. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. That's the, that's the source that we believe our principles can come from. I see you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Once we've understood those those commands, those principles, these ideas, then we need not to stray from them. We need to stay on them, let them be the actual foundation of our life. Why do we need principles in our life, though? Why can't we just follow the rules? As long as we follow the rules, it's fine. Problem is, there's lots of areas where there isn't a rule. Lots of areas where we need to make a wise choice or a good choice, but actually it's a choice that is ours. And that's where we need principles. We need to have decided at a deep level what kind of person we'll be so that then when we have to make a decision about this or a decision about that, we know the direction to go. That's what a principle does in our life. It's it's a good thing on which we can build a good life. So we're exploring various different things. Last week, Stephen, powerful, wasn't it? Principle of purity in our life, of being pure. And all the different ways that that works itself out in our lives. Today we are speaking, I'm going to be speaking, we're going to be thinking about a principle of modesty. What it means to live a modest life. Why that's a good thing. How that works itself out in practice. One thing I want to be really clear about though, is that this series is not about shame. This series is not about, well, you need to have these principles. And if you don't, or if you've ever messed up on one of them, when we come to a principle of generosity, if you've ever been ungenerous last week, if you've ever been impure, or if you are now, then you don't belong here, you don't belong in church, you don't belong with God. That's not what this is about. This isn't about how we're failures. This is about giving us a solid rock on which to stand, a a firm set of principles that we can live our life by. This is about bringing life, not about bringing guilt and shame. And so today, when we come to this idea of modesty, I wonder what that word conjures up for you. I wonder what you think of when I say modesty, when I splashed it up on our massive screen. What does that word speak to you? Maybe you think about modesty in terms of not sort of touting your own achievements. Maybe you appreciate it when people don't constantly go on about how good they are and how clever they are or how this they are and that they are. Maybe when I said modesty, you thought about clothing. You thought about how much people reveal or don't reveal. You thought about how much people flash their cash, how much people wear designer things, how much people make it clear that they've got wealth. 
Maybe you thought about uh, modesty in terms of a, a modest helping, a modest portion of food or of drink. Modesty, the way that we use it in the English language, covers quite a lot of things. Today, I want to use as a little way into thinking about modesty, two areas. What we wear and how we deal with our abilities or our achievements or our successes, the things that we are good at. I want to think about each of those and we're going to start with each of those by thinking about um, some questions. Some questions that are, that are real questions that we need to answer in our lives. We're going to think about how the world might answer some of those questions. We're going to see some things that the Bible has to say about each of those. And then we're going to actually dig a little bit deeper and ask, if modesty is a good thing, where does it come from? How do we live in a modest way? Because actually there's something underneath it that we need to discover as well. But let's start by thinking about modesty in clothing, in the way that we dress. This is not the part of the sermon where I tell you exactly how many inches above or below the knee is correct. This is not the part of the sermon where I tell you how much, uh, how much bicep you're allowed to show, or for those who have a six-pack, how tight your shirt is or isn't allowed to be in order to demonstrate that. I'm not giving rules, but I'm also not making a joke. Because this isn't about rules, this is about principles. So instead of telling you those things... I want to ask some questions, some questions that we do need to make decisions about. How do you make decisions about what clothes you will or you won't wear? If you're a parent or a grandparent or a spiritual parent or grandparent or a mentor or you have that place in someone's life to be able to help them, how do you help your kids or those people make those choices? Do you just make them for them? You can wear this, you can't wear that. Or do you talk with them about principles? Do you just give complete freedom? Or is there something else you'll do? These are things that we need to think about. Some other questions. What parts of your body do you allow to be seen by others and which parts do you not? Does it depend who, where you are, who you're with, what you're doing? If you do choose to keep certain parts of you covered up in one context or another, why? Is it for, for your benefit? Is it because you're ashamed of those things? Is it because of another reason? Is it for someone else's benefit? To help them in some way. If you regularly come to church, how do you decide what to wear when you're here? Do you dress for everyone else? Put on your Sunday best? Try and look like a good Christian on a Sunday with all your good clothing? Are you dressing for God? If your answer is, I dress for God and you dressed differently when you were in lockdown, joining church online? (laughs) Are you really dressing for God? Or is it for the people around you? Again, not completely joking. These are questions that we need to think about. Because we have to decide when we get up in the morning what we're going to wear. We have to decide when we go shopping what it is that we will buy. So, I want to suggest that in the world, there are a couple of extremes A couple of sort of, along a spectrum, and on one side of the spectrum is this. What you wear is none of my business, and what I wear is none of your business. We just need to get out of each other's lives. A sermon like this has no place. We shouldn't be talking about this stuff. It's none of your business, none of my business. Earlier this year, uh, the actress Florence Pugh, she was in um, the 
the, the Marvel Black Widow thing and a few other bits and bobs. If you don't know who she is, it doesn't matter. Um, she attended an event earlier this year. I think it was a sort of fashion event or an art event or some kind of thing. And she attended in a dress that was um, a sheer dress. For anyone who doesn't know what that means, it means it's a see-through dress with nothing underneath it. And understandably, or I guess as we would expect, there was quite a lot of comment about this. People saying you shouldn't be showing us your body in that way. Interestingly, there were kind of two different reasons that people gave. Some were saying to her uh, online, or not, probably not directly to her, but speaking about her, um, you shouldn't be showing that because it's not appropriate. It's not an appropriate way to dress. There were others who were very unkind to her and said, actually, we have no problem with, with a woman showing that when she turns up to an event. Uh, we just think that you're ugly, and we actually we don't want to see that because it's not pleasant to look at. Two very different reasons getting to the same thing. What's your response to that? Well, I can tell you some of what her response was. I almost read you some of her response, but actually some of it uses language that I wouldn't choose to repeat. So I'll summarize her response, which is basically, it's 2022, everyone. Can we just get over this, please? It's my body, not yours. My choice what I wear, not yours. Doesn't impact you, doesn't affect you. Stop telling me how I should live my life. Stop telling me and stop casting judgment on me and trying to make me feel ashamed of the way that I look. That's one extreme. None of your business, none of my business. Doesn't matter. Just let people do what they want. Then there's another extreme. You're only allowed to do what you're told to do. We need actually not to have freedom. We need to have rules. We need to have a clear sense of what's right and wrong in terms of what we do or we don't dress. I want to share a few things from the Quran, because within Islam, there are some very clear rules about what can and can't be uh, worn. This is written uh, about women. Tell your wives and your daughters and the women of the believers to wrap their outer garments around themselves. That's more suitable so that they will be known as pious women and not be harassed. And they're to draw their veils over their heads and their chests uh, and not to reveal their beauty except to their husbands and to a few other close family members. Not just women, though. Uh, men are instructed to lower their gaze from looking at women with desire other than their wives and to protect themselves from fornication or from sexual impurity. But then also, the lower garment of the believer, of the male believer, should come, uh, should come to the mid-calf, but there's no sin on him if it comes between that point and the ankle. Very specific commands about what should be worn and why. By this view, there are, there are clear do's and don'ts for men and for women. There are also reasons given. So which is it? Well, I want to suggest quite, quite clearly that actually neither of those is the Bible's message. This idea, this sort of Florence Pugh idea that actually what you wear is nothing to do with me and what I wear is nothing to do with you. Actually, when we look within scripture around some things around, around this, which we'll come to in a moment, we'll see that it does matter. It does affect us. What, what we choose to do or not to do does impact not just ourselves, but those around us. But the Bible doesn't give explicit instructions about what to wear and what not to wear and which parts of the body need to be. And the truth is that in different cultures, different things will be seen as acceptable or not acceptable or alluring or not alluring. The Bible doesn't just say, this is a list of rules, go out and buy it and then wear it. So what does the Bible say? 
Well, I want to share a couple of, 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 of verses with you. First is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, where we read this. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. The context of this passage is talking about relationships. There's a bit addressed to men and husbands. There's a bit addressed to women and wives. The fact that this is in a context about relationships shows that actually this does impact each other. This isn't just a personal private choice. This is something that we need to think about others as well. In this particular bit, it's speaking to women. In that day, it was very common for men to gain uh, success or status or standing through achievements or through position. It was also very common for women to, to feel as though the only way that they could get any kind of status or standing was through their appearance. We might think we've moved on from that. We might not think we've moved on from that. But that's why this is written particularly to women, whereas some other things were said directly to men. The principle here is not about clothing. The principle here is about where beauty comes from. That's the emphasis here. And what Peter is saying is that beauty comes from within, not from outside. We shouldn't try and make ourselves beautiful, make ourselves appealing, as if the only thing we have to offer to do that is our appearance either with our clothes or our jewellery or our grooming or whatever it is, if that's all we've got to offer and that's where our beauty comes from, Peter says, no, there's something far more beautiful, far better and ultimately unfading that can come from within. We, like the context where, Paul was, where Peter was writing, we live in a very sexualized world. We live in a world where... It's very easy to buy padded swimwear for young girls aged 12 and 13 to wear to accentuate curves that they may not even have. A friend of mine who is an engineer, she, when she was um, finishing her university degree, she went to a particular seminar training day on, on, on sort of uh, what it's like to be a woman in the world of engineering, because women are very much a minority within that field. And there were some women who'd been in the industry for a while and Amongst other things, she was told very clearly that if she wasn't willing to wear a short skirt and a low-cut top, she couldn't expect to get very far. I'm sure the women said other things, but that was the point where my friend stopped listening, when she stopped caring, because she didn't have respect for that. But we live in a world like that. A lot of advertising rests on this. Even if it's advertising nothing to do with clothes or hair or anything like that, a lot of advertising rests on this idea of a very sexualized view of people. But according to the Bible, that is just not the game we should be playing. That is not where beauty comes from. That is not where our attraction to someone else should ultimately come from. Beauty comes from within. He's not saying there's something wrong with nice clothes or with grooming or with makeup or with jewelry. There is something, though, to be warned against if we are using those things in order to gain something from people, to be seen as something, for our worth to come from there. If you are trying to use your sexuality or your, your looks or your body in order to gain someone's respect, in order to gain someone's admiration or attraction, then there is something that to learn here. 
The Bible, though, doesn't stay just at this sort of surface level almost. Goes, goes, goes a little bit deeper than that. This is something that Paul, one of the other leaders in the early church, said. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I want to be really clear. Your body is not cheap. Don't treat it cheaply. Your body is precious. Treat it Preciously. Your body is not an advert to be used for something else. Your body is where God has chosen to take up residence. If you, like Peter, have turned and believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. God's done two big things to demonstrate how much he values our physical bodies. One is that he took one on himself when he came in Jesus. It was in a physical body that he lived, that he ate, that he walked, that he died. And a physical body that he was risen again. And the second is that he chooses to take up residence within our physical bodies. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, honor God with our bodies. This is some of the ways that Paul and Peter and those in the New Testament church understood and thought about the way that we should and shouldn't flaunt or use our bodies. Note that these are not primarily about women doing something with their bodies or not doing something with their bodies for the benefit of men. Quite often within church circles, there is, a, there is something said which has truth to it, but it is not the whole truth. That the reason that, and normally it's the reason that women should be modest, is to help men be pure. Women, you need to respect your brothers and your friends. If you dress a certain way, it could be difficult for them in their purity and holiness. That is not the reason, the primary reason given. Our modesty is about our own relationship with God. Finding contentment in that instead of looking for it from others. That said, within a community of love, where we respect one another, where we try and help one another, we should be thinking, how can I be of benefit to others? It's not the deep reason, it's not the reason that you need, but it is good to think about those things as well. And it's good to recognize that saying that to women and not to men is just wrong. That we need to be saying, as men, how can we be modest? Not just as women. And we need to be saying as women, how can we be pure, not just men? Sometimes that's been lacking and that needs to be balanced. I said we're going to think about modesty in clothing. We're going to look a little bit more briefly at modesty in the way that we think about our abilities and our achievements. We live in a world where a lot of achievements are thought about. So again, let's think about some questions. Is it okay to talk about your achievements or to mention that you're good at something? Are there contexts where you shouldn't do that or where you should do that? For you, how much do others' opinions of you matter? How do you deal with criticism or praise? Again, how much are we looking to other people by being modest or by being blatant about what we're good at or what we're not? This is not a new problem. The disciples had it. Uh, this is a story about Jesus and his disciples. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, you arguing about in the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last 
and the servant of all. This is not a new problem. We can maybe see this, this grappling over who's the best and who's the most qualified and, and who's the greatest and who's going to do the best thing going on right now in our nation in a very big way, very, very centre stage. But we all know that in some way or another, often we find that same thing in our own hearts. Let's just be honest about that. Like, like them, we also know it's not really okay to be blatant about it. When Jesus says, hey, what were you talking about along the road? They don't want to say anything because they know that they shouldn't have been talking about who's the greatest. I mean, it's just embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah, Jesus, we were actually having a conversation about who's, who's better. Uh, Peter thinks he's the best at fish. Uh, Matthew thinks he's the best with money. Uh, or Judas was vying for that a little bit. But actually, I think I'm the it's just It's just embarrassing, isn't it? We also know the right answer, the one that Jesus gives, is that serving is better than being better, than being greater than others. And we also know that Jesus is the perfect best model of that, the king of heaven come to be the servant of all. But knowing it isn't the same as living it. Remember, this is not a guilt thing. This is not a shame thing. But it's important for us to address these things. And let's be honest, our world in so many ways pushes us towards this mentality. Just in the last couple of weeks, 11 plus results came out. And a lot of children in our area were told they're not good enough. And a lot were told that they are. And neither of those things were true as a result of 11 plus. It's not the only time in life we learn it though, is it? Because it comes to um, applications for jobs or mortgages or university or whatever it is. And then there's, well, our neighbor's got this and we don't have that. And then there's, well, your kids are doing this, but mine aren't. And all of these things, all through life, we just, we, we sort of, pushed to play the comparison game and we're in a job interview and the truth is we have to talk ourselves up because if not all of the other people are going to get the job and we're not and so where's the appropriate time and where's not the appropriate time the problem again is what's going on inside of us I want to share some other words from Paul and I'll be honest I find these words astonishing from Paul if he really lived what he says here then it is absolutely a game changer. And if I could live what he says here, it would be a huge game changer for me. Because Paul, writing to some people who were saying to him that they didn't really like him anymore, they'd found some more impressive teachers, they were questioning what he was saying and doing, he says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear. But that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. This is huge. What he's saying is, I don't mind whether you like me or not, whether you respect me or not, because you aren't where my worth is coming from. But what he doesn't then go on to say is the very, the very common thing in our world, which is because as long as I love myself, it doesn't matter whether you love me. He doesn't say that either. He says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear. I don't know of anything I'm doing wrong. But actually, that isn't what qualifies me. It's the Lord who judges me. This is huge. The world will tell us, yeah, we shouldn't look for our approval in other people. So you don't need to tout your, 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 your achievements. and You don't need to um, tell the world how good you are because you shouldn't be looking for approval there. The world tells us to look inwards. 
and says, as long as you can learn to love yourself, as long as you can, you know, every morning start the day by, 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 by telling yourself all the good things you did in the last week and all the achievements you've done and, 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 and write them and, and keep a note of them and, and, and look into a mirror and tell yourself how good you are. And there can be some benefit to some of that, but the problem is, actually, if we look within ourselves, the Bible tells us that the human heart is full of all kinds of evil. If I look in my heart, I'm going to find things like jealousy, and then I'm going to want to start being better than the person I'm jealous of. If I look in my heart, I'm going to find things like pride, and then I'm going to want to be seen as good by myself and by others. Paul, he's done with that. He cares about what God thinks, and that's it. And actually, this leads us into the deeper thing that modesty can flow out of, whether that's modesty of dress, whether that's modesty of, in our achievements, whether that's modesty when it comes to things like food and drink. Because at the heart of the matter is that it's a matter of the heart. Famous verse in the Bible, when Samuel is choosing a, a, the next king, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him when he's looking at a very fine specimen, someone who would obviously make a good king on the outside. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Wow. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. If we're looking for our approval outside, we won't ultimately find it. If we're looking for our approval in our own hearts, we won't ultimately find it. We need to find that in God. And actually, we found that in all of those verses that we've looked at. Inner beauty, the way it's described is about the way we relate to God, not to others. That thing about being a temple of the Holy Spirit is about a relationship with God living in us, not about the way that we treat others. The disciples arguing along the road, they wanted to know amongst themselves who was the best instead of recognizing that Jesus gives them that status. And Paul, similarly, it's the Lord who judges me, no one else. Modesty is what we do on the outside. The place that we get modesty from comes, on the, comes from the inside, and I believe it's called contentment. One last passage this morning from Paul. He's speaking to one of his favorite churches, who he seems to get on with really well, and he's talking about uh, some need that, that exists, and he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do this through him who gives me strength. He's speaking about food and drink and money and being able to support himself. But this is true in so many areas and so many ways. I'm content whether I've got the newest, best clothes or whether I don't. I'm content whether I've got people's praise and love, or whether I don't. I'm content whether people notice my body, or whether they don't. I'm content whether I get the promotion and I'm seen to be the best in my team, or whether I don't. Notice that Paul doesn't just say, I've learned what it is to, to have little. He says, I've learned what it's like to have lots and what it's like to have little. Because the flip side of all this modesty stuff is false modesty, which is just another word for pride. False modesty in this context is saying, when it comes to appearance, is saying whenever there's a group picture being taken, I'll take it, you wouldn't want me in that picture, whether we say it out loud or whether we say it in our head. 
thinking of ourselves as so ugly or so unworthy. We wouldn't want to spoil someone else's photo. Might end up on their mantelpiece. They don't want my face on there. May feel like modesty. It's not. It's, it's in some ways saying to God, the way that you made me isn't good enough and your opinion of me isn't the right one. So I'm going to have my own. True contentment, being happy to be in the picture, even if it's a bad hair day. True contentment when it comes to our abilities is not always saying, no, 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 I couldn't possibly do that. If you're good at something, own it. Don't own it arrogantly, but also don't be timid about it. If anyone's read some of the rest of what Paul said, he wasn't backwards in coming forwards about his status and his identity and his leadership and his gifts. He's just not looking to them for his identity and his worth. Whether we have lots or whether we have little, in appearance or clothing or achievements or praise, all of this comes from contentment. Last week, Stephen introduced this idea of pre-deciding, making a decision so that when you face the actual thing, you've already decided what to do. Pre-deciding in this area can can be about deciding when you're in the shops what you're going to buy to wear so that then you've actually got choices in your closet that are going to be modest. Pre-deciding means going into the meeting saying, I know that I've carried my team through this project, but I'm not going to make sure that they all know that. Pre-deciding that actually our worth and our value will come not from others and not even from ourselves like Florence Pugh wanted it to but will come from Jesus and what he has said of us, to be content in that and to let that be the end of it. Will you decide this morning to choose contentment in whatever it is that God has given you? Let me pray. And then Stephen's going to come and lead us. Father God, I thank you that you have said that we are enough, because actually we don't need to bring lots to the table. You've done it for us. Thank you that at the cross, when Jesus died, it was a declaration not just of my need for sin, but of your desire and your love for me. May I draw my contentment from that. Thank you that at the resurrection of Jesus, when you enabled life now and into eternity for me so that no matter the struggles, no matter the trials, no matter the difficulties, no matter the pain of now, there is both a now and a future that is opened up to me. May I find my contentment in that. And thank you that you have chosen to take up residence in me. Thank you that my body is not cheap. Thank you that it is precious. And thank you that whether people praise me or curse me, you have declared me to be a child of God. May I find my contentment in that. Amen.